Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice as an advising representative with Gold Investment Management, LTD, a firm registered as a portfolio manager and located in Edmonton, Alberta. This podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Joel Shackleton, Cam Pitchers, or GIM have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Cam, Joel, it's nice to see you. Happy Friday. We haven't done this before. Just no. switching up the recording days all the time. It's, you know, it's, we're in the dog days of summer and my life has become increasingly challenging. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm nearing the, uh, the finish line with a lot of uh, personal and, and business opportunities, mm-hmm. I would call them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's been, it's been a, a whirlwind of two weeks, three weeks for me and I apologize for making a change each week mm-hmm. to our schedule, but I promise on a go-forward basis, we will be recording on a day. On a day. I was going to say, we'll be consistently inconsistent. <laughs> that is the promise from this podcast of all time. A hundred percent. I guess it's, it's almost Canada Day, too, yeah. which is kind of nice. We can kind of lead into the weekend. It's kind of nice to do this yeah. chat before a long weekend. Yeah, we got July 4th coming in the United States, so it's just going to be a... Cr- a, a short business week next week. We will get one of these in. We didn't prepare for this, but I just one thing I was reading before we started uh, recording today. You had chatted, I think, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, about not obviously about the topics. We don't need to get into that, but just with Bud Light sales just like crashing and like Anheuser Busch stock and and whatnot. So I think it's Constellation Brands maybe would be another big holder yep. of certain beers, and so uh, they hold like Modelo and Corona. And so there's been some information already for like because it's M- Memorial Day to July Fourth, like stats or whatever projections, yep. and uh, they're taking up the lion's share of everything that's been missed. And so it's funny that Corona would be included in that. Just when you think back three years ago when <laughs> just because they were called Corona, they got absolutely smashed. <laughs> and now they're the, benef- the benefactors of another, call it brand-related crash of another company. So it, I was just reading that on the way in, thinking about the, the long weekend and obviously the amount of like the amount of beer being purchased has not changed. It is no. the, but the brands that are being purchased are, and it was just very interesting to see. And you know what, actually, and this is me not having this, the statistics in front of me at the moment, beer has taken a hit just more broadly. In general. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, the emergence of all of these seltzers, seltzers and other cocktails where you don't have to have the, like there was two options when you and I were growing up. Yes, basically. Yeah. Captain Morgan's. Yeah, exactly. Like either you buy a large bottle of liquor to share because you definitely didn't need that all yourself or you buy beers. And the 
the breadth of options now is kind of nice, right? Well, it's all it is. It's it is almost in, like the I have a few acquaintances and a couple clients I've worked on in in past years, kind of thing that are in the space. And I think when you like take a look back, you're like, it seems like a crazy business to get into or industry to get into, market to get into. But it's such a huge pie. So if you can get your own spin on it, like there's been, been so many success stories even in here in Alberta of small breweries, small distilleries, all that kind of stuff that have now made a jump to either the national level. Like I think the US is another, like is a whole bear and a different mm-hmm. different thing. But just in terms of getting your your brand out there and making a good solid business out of it, it's possible just because of the, again, that size of that pie is nuts. It is. It truly is. And I, I will go on record saying that getting into that business is not something I would advise people to do mostly because, um, the margins are a struggle. It's tough. Yeah. I actually, it depends on what you focus on though. Are you focusing on distribution or versus like retail sales or, and that's where I was going. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who's in manufacturing or production Mm -hmm. and doesn't care for the brand. And this is more on the, uh, the medical, the marijuana side or the cannabis side. Yep. And I believe that if you get into manufacturing, you can control costs better. You have, you're going to be full up. Mm -hmm. You can find new clients whenever needed, uh, to fill your Mm -hmm. production line. And there you have a very consistent business model. You can grow, you can predict it out further into uh, the future. Whereas when you're on that front leading edge, uh, brand side of Mm -hmm. selling these sorts of products, it's tougher. Well, it's, it's very difficult. Plus with the the social climate, it makes it even more challenging if you do something wrong. So, I mean, locally, if you're looking at Edmonton, Alberta, there's a few people trying to start a water brand. There's, there's all of these innovative ideas where it's very focused on marketing and how well you can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's very much associated with the success of that product and, and, and how much money those people are going to make. I would much rather focus on how do I make that water for that person so that they can go out, sure. do their best on that marketing front. And so, that, but that's, that's your, um, ROI brain working. Yeah. And that's not how it's the, the creative what's person. The risky. Yeah. I, I, I think it's definitely, Again, something I'm, you and I are both not creative brains in term. I think we like creative things, but if if we were going to start a business, it would not be on the basis of something creative. And so I always have the most respect for that kind of stuff. And I think obviously the most successful ones have, you know, leadership and brain power that are just uber passionate about Mm the stuff and can make the right inroads and work their tails off to get there. And it's just, it's just cool to see that you can be successful. Now, obviously the competition is just crazy and you have to, when you have a hundred brands popping up, like only a handful of them are actually probably going to end up being successful, but it's still really cool to see that that is a possibility. And comparison to, again, when we were growing up, it was the four or five big brands and that's all you saw. And there was really no, um, excitement around the industry, yeah. if you want to call it that way. So, I mean, the the spirits that are taking a lot of that market share is mm-hmm. it's actually tequila. It's really. I was chatting with someone about that the other day, and how that is in the last five years, call it how much much of it, how much how many inroads they have made, um, yeah, in relation to because like, I I don't know about actual purchases of like straight up spirit, like a bottle of vodka, a bottle of tequila, a bottle of whatever, but in terms of the 
the mixed drinks that has gone that has gone absolutely crazy over the past yeah. like three or four years. Like even when we were down in the states there in in February, every other drink that you could buy was tequila based. Yeah, even the the seltzers tend to be tequila based or gin based or. Well, yeah, it's something different because at first it was all vodka and now it's, they've been able to 100%. diversify that even further, right? So then you're even grabbing more market share for people who want something different. So. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, anything that The Rock does is likely going to win. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, just get yourself a really, like a guy with 150 million followers on Instagram and then you're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes, <laughs> honestly, everything that that guy does, you just... Um, follow except for movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> even they they do well um fast 12's coming out so it should be a hit so let's uh let's run into what i let's go let's go with the market update sure, yeah market's been hot yep um today's the last day of q2 and the s&p 500 is up over seven percent for the quarter in u.s dollar terms so in other words eight companies are over Well, I'll get into that a little bit. The S&P 500 was also up over 7% in Q1. And it was up another 7% in Q4 of 2022. That's a lot of consistency there. Mm -hmm. And for those that were middle of summer last year or even Q4 last year, talking about how we were going to be jumping into a recession and that this was not a new bull market, I... (laughs) I want to draw people's attention back to, I don't know, episode 180, where I spoke about JC Peretz going on Fox Business. And he literally said to the host, we are just starting a new bull market. The presidential cycle aligns incredibly well with us shifting from a interest rate focus Mm -hmm. and the monetary concern over what's going to happen on a go forward basis to the economy if we raise interest rates 5% in 24 or 12 months mm-hmm. and it's going to be more aligned with the incentives that are put in place by um, political figures and how they're spending how important employment is as you go through a very important election cycle for, for the Senate and what is now going to be their next presidential race. Mm-hmm. However, that that, that um, three quarters of time, or in, in his case, it was about a year, is starting to close, and we're nearing the end of that. So the presidential cycle, the, the election cycle, that usually aligns with having or is in concert with a very successful um, market mm-hmm. and, and one that goes up a lot is, is starting to come to an end. So we'll see if this momentum continues. It sure seems like it's going to. The market is, in terms of the companies that are taking part in this mm-hmm. bull run, it's starting to broaden out, which is something I actually spoke to last week, which I felt was probably going to have to happen in order for it to continue. Oh, for sure. And um, these be at least 10. <laughs> <laughs> and so that kind of um, takes me to a conversation I want to have with with everybody. And this is not me making any sort of predictions here. Uh, it's not at all. It's not what I'm meant to do here. But um, Mark Wil- Wilinski on Twitter had a really interesting tweet thread that I want to talk about. So but- it's also like on par with some of the discussions we've had in the past about when you do this retro- retrospective look at at stocks in the S&P 500. Yeah, and it, it kind of speaks to why you need to own 
um, just the broad market. You got to own beta. You got to own these. Oh God, that's not financial advice, by the way. But you, <laughs> you do need to have exposure to everything because you can't possibly know going out into the future what's going to win on a go forward. It's super obvious in in retrospect. When oh, you look back, when you look backwards, it's easy, right? I can create the greatest um, fund strategy or investment strategy. <laughs> On a back test basis. See, what you really need to invest in is a time machine company, so then you can hundred <laughs> percent either that or Elon Musk. But so the top eight S and P five hundred companies in two thousand and three were General Electric, Microsoft, Pfizer, Exxon Mobil, Walmart, Citigroup, Intel, and IBM. Ten thousand dollars invested into each. 20 years ago would be, so for General Electric, if you would have invested $10,000 into General Electric, which was, at the time, the world, the largest company in the S&P 500, which today is Apple, that $10,000 investment would be worth a total of $9,844. And now this is as of June 8, uh, 24th. That is an annual rate of return of zero, or negative, 0.08%. Most people would look at that and be, be disappointed with that return. Microsoft. I'm, I'm assuming most people are going to think that this is a great return. You would be right. Microsoft, if you put $10,000 in Microsoft 20 years ago, it would be worth $203,304 today. Most people would be pretty excited about that return. Now, I really wish my dad would have got me stocks in Microsoft instead of a lacrosse deck. Yeah, for your 13th birthday, <laughs> if you would have just given you, instead of $200 for that Harrow shaft yeah, that, doesn't, put that five, breaks every put five years. Put in Microsoft, please. Give it to Bull <laughs> Billy Boy, yeah. and let's see what's going on. Yeah, that's an annual rate of return of 16.2%. Not bad. Um, on this list, that is the only stock that outperformed the broader mm-hmm. index of the S&P 500. So let's move through this a little bit faster. Pfizer, $10,000 invested into Pfizer 20 years ago would be worth $24,261 today. Pfizer, the company that ha- owns um, the male enhancement drugs. Enhancement drugs. <laughs> so something that's had a few innovations in the, in the past. Yeah, for sure they have. Uh, the, the total return since the, the beginning of Pfizer is 2,139%, pretty darn good. But uh, once companies get into this top 10 list, Size is the enemy of returns in yep. many cases. It's For very sure. difficult to compound large numbers. It's much easier to compound smaller ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, hence the reason why so many people are attracted to microcaps, those sorts of things. Yep. So that Pfizer returns about 4.5% annualized. Not phenomenal. It's actually significantly lower mm-hmm. than the market. So now let's move on to ExxonMobil. $10,000 invested in Exxon would be worth $53,285 today. Not too shabby. Not That's horrendous. actually... Yep pretty darn good, um, especially given the fact that it has a nice nice dividend attached to it. It's always been one of those companies that um, has had some difficult times with regards to its social impact mm-hmm. or environmental impact. I yep. mean, it's ES, had, an ESG candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where it gets filtered out of yeah. some people's portfolios. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 8.7% annual return, not bad. So we got Walmart, another one that people would be would make the assumption that, you know what, this is safe, I'm gonna own Walmart, mm-hmm. off to the races. 10,000 would be $42,809 today. That's a pretty good return, however, that's still below the S&P 500. That's still below the TSX return. Mm-hmm. That's a annual rate of 7.5. Citigroup, pretty, pretty bad. 
So Citigroup is a pretty large bank in the United States. Yeah. Um, Had a tough time in 2008, though. Yeah. (laughs) And if people don't remember, that was the financial crisis. So Citigroup is a financial. And... $10,000 $10,000 invested in Citigroup 20 years ago would be worth a whopping $1,622 today. Mm-hmm. That might buy you an iPhone 10. <laughs> so that's an annual rate return of a negative 0.8.7%. I don't think that that's very good. Intel. Intel being the, the chip maker that has, as of late, been a challenge. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of headwinds. Its competition is stiff. And um, an interesting candidate for the next 20 years after today. I'm very excited to see what they can pull off. However, 10000 would be worth $27,272 today. That's about a 5.1% annualized return. IBM, 10000 would be worth 27778 That's 5.2. So the reason why I wanted to go through all of this is the S&P 500 compounded, and if you put $10,000 into the SPY mm-hmm. ticker symbol, it would be worth $63,979 as of June 24th of this, this tweet thread. Mm-hmm. And that's a 9.8% annualized return. That's better than every company with the exception of Microsoft. So if you so were to the grab... financial advice is put $10,000 into Microsoft... Apple every time. Every no, time. <laughs> honestly, that's not what I'm trying to get at here. Like the 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 moral of the story is that it's very difficult to pick stocks. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to be right. Um, the 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 market itself, if you're going and picking individual companies, mm-hmm. rewards those that own all of them mm-hmm. rat more so, mm-hmm. more frequently yeah. than those that go out and try to individually choose names. And it's very difficult to broadly spread things out mm-hmm. and then stick with that over the long term because we all want to, to have that home run. We all want to turn 10,000 into 203,000, mm-hmm. right? For sure you do. That's what everybody thinks they can do as well. It mm-hmm. is in our nature mm-hmm. to want to, to take that risk. So the only thing I wanted to bring attention to is the fact that stock picking is challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to do it, you got to do it with all the information. Mm-hmm. So, which would include having a time machine and going forward and understanding what's exactly very, very, very important. <laughs> I think one thing I, I wanted you touched on it maybe after Walmart or potentially Exxon in terms of dividend returns. I think a lot of these huge corporate groups or corporate like big huge corporations that are staples, the Coca Colas, the Anything that's a dividend yield or dividend yielding company as well, like that is that is a worthy, I guess, investment strategy as well. Depending on your life cycle, like where you're at in your life and and your your, I guess, your appetite for risk, etc. Because there, I'm sure you'd have tons of clients that would be wanting. They would have maybe a mix, obviously, of wanting to go for me picking some individual stocks or being a part of the SPY and having some some funds allocated there. But then they would also have have cash um, or invest in investments in some of these companies that would have maybe more stability. If like if you look at some of these, I mean, obviously we're not sharing this or anything like that or showing you exactly what this looks like, but if you were to look up Walmart, like it's a pretty steady increase in stock price over time, just given the, I guess the spread there, but obviously it has probably been kicking out a dividend 
consistently as well. So that's obviously a known thing too that people need to consider. And when you're like what you're investing in when you're 33 versus when you're 63 is two completely different things. Yeah. And so, and even having obviously a mix of dividend yielding investments at 33 is not the worst idea in the world. Not generally, yeah. I would say, and my only pushback would be that um, dividends are tax inefficient. Yeah. Um, they can be, yep. Yeah, I mean, as you likely know, um, for those in their 30s, they're not necessarily at their peak earning years. Um, 40s, 50s, uh, it's a little bit more impactful. And depending on where you have them located, the asset location is is just as important and more important. And that's kind of like something that I do with people quite consistently and more mm -hmm. frequently is that you need to consider where you're throwing those dividend pairs in your portfolio versus the just throw them anywhere mm -hmm. because I mean the yeah, especially tax implications for, of especially that for, for people who are investing in both potentially in a corporation at at the personal level and like making those decisions does matter mm -hmm. uh, in terms of where your again life cycle is like in both of those things yeah. and and what's your ultimate goal for and this isn't a podcast which we get into passive income grind and stuff like that that's not going to be Ooh, what we do, we do with yeah, you today should we, should we really <laughs> just let people's eyes glaze over here or what <laughs> yeah, let's let's definitely move on from that but it is uh I don't know, interesting exercise mm -hmm. for those that maybe listen to this podcast every week. I, um, we do talk about individual names all the time. Uh, right now, the top 10 S&P 5 companies are Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, Berkshire Hathaway, Tesla, Meta or Facebook, ExxonMobil, and United Health Group. So two of those from that top 10 are now there today. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's, let's, so, do, let's do something quickly here. Okay. In 20 years of those 10, which one will be, which of those 10 will there, will be there or still be there in mm -hmm. 10 years or 20 years? In 20 years. So again, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Nvidia, Berkshire Hathaway, Tesla, Meta, ExxonMobil, United Health Group. Okay, I'm gonna say, I'll pick two, because you said there's two currently, so we'll pick two again. I'm gonna say Nvidia. I'm gonna say Apple. Okay, so I'm going to go with more than two. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to go with Amazon. Okay. And I'm going to go with Berkshire Hathaway. Really? Even after the transition happens, yeah. you think? And United Health Group. Okay. So mark it on your calendars. Um, 20 years out, which yeah, we'll June, still be doing this podcast. June 30th, 2043. We'll be sitting in the same room. And we will remember. Yeah. In 20 years, we'll have done. And it will be zero of the stocks. It'll be zero. <laughs> yeah. 1,200 podcasts by then. So, yeah, I, I don't think Apple's going to be there. And I don't think that Google will be. I don't think that we could ever even, I don't even know if NVIDIA will not be acquired by somebody by then. No. I have all of these. So I'm going to go through my theory on why. And this is not financial advice. Berkshire Hathaway owns... Energy, it's really well diversified. It has rails. It has what I deem to be the core of what society is built on top tangible, of tangible things, insurance, yeah. those sorts of things. Um, United Health Group, it's my belief that the spend, the wallet share in healthcare mm -hmm. is likely to accelerate more. And this is kind of actually a good role into what I, I think is, should be our next topic quickly. Um, and what was my other option? Oh my God, I already forgot. Yeah, those three. Amazon, and you said. Was Amazon, yeah. which distribution it is ingrained into my life more and more and more each month and it's my belief that that combined with their willingness to take long-term or make long-term bets in large size mm -hmm. and then tackle difficult areas that other businesses are just terrified of 
and their distribution network across North America and Europe mm -hmm. is unmatched. And that cash flow generation machine that is now willing to compound on itself and has the shareholder base willing to allow it gives them an advantage over a long period of time that I don't think a lot of these other companies have the luxury of. So that's right. just my opinion. All right. Well, we'll agree and disagree and just move 100%. on to the next <laughs> And we'll just move on to, yeah, next topic. So when I mentioned healthcare and that spend, I know this is kind of a hot topic for a lot of people, it seems. When I was in Toronto, I went to Collision. And for people I, who don't know what Collision is, maybe give a quick. Yeah, Collision's a tech conference in Toronto. It's the largest tech um, meetup for our country each year. And it happens over this past weekend or this this current week. It's currently going on right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I went there for a number of reasons, professional, but then also um, I was lucky enough to to sit on the panel. But then also, yeah. How, how long did you speak for? About 30 seconds. <laughs> the guy from KPMG just would not t stop talking. <laughs> and that was, I mean, it's because he was so smart. So, um so, but I also got to do an old sponsor of the podcast and, and a company that I'm, I'm particularly um, excited about is the, the Good Lawyer had a yacht party. Mm -hmm. So they had a bunch of people onto the boat and it was fantastic. I think mm -hmm. there was something like 450 people wow. on a single floating boat into the mm -hmm. harbor of, of Toronto. Kind of like a, like a uh, Morocco or a Monaco light, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I would say yeah. very light. <laughs> 0 0.01 beta. Um, hey, you're on a yacht. Yeah, 100%. Cool. It was really neat. They did such a fantastic job. It really speaks to the the team, the, the excitement they built around their business, but then also just his, I mean, Brett and, and, and Josh's personalities, how much people like them. And just they can drum up so much excitement. Um, the the mayors of Edmonton and Calgary showed up. They had speeches. They talked about Alberta, the the opportunity mm -hmm. that they see in our province. And they were trying to speak to the tech industry of of Ontario. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was powerful and really interesting. Um, a lot of my conversations through the week with people from there, working in tech, working in finance, working in a number of different industries, it really seems like the Alberta advantage is becoming more obvious. Yeah. And I posted something, I don't know if I sent it to you, but the, or if I threw it in the dock, but the current, oh no, no, I sent it to a friend of mine. And it's the current inflows into Alberta and where they're coming from, mm -hmm. net inflows. Net so inflows, that also yeah. includes, like, obviously people leaving. Yep. We received something to the tune of 12,000 to 13,000 people from Ontario. Mm -hmm. And it was the largest contributor to our population than all the other provinces. Yeah. Not including See, the I know United six States. Of them, so. Personally. So if you prorate that out. I think, the, you know, don't come too fast, though. We don't need our housing market getting into the same... <laughs> Uh, situation as Toronto, especially because yeah. you guys all have more money than us. Yeah, cool. So, it. yeah, uh, cool it. Yeah. However, it does, I think that the tax rate situation is really attractive. Their, their small business tax rate is 15% in Ontario. Well, I mean, I think the other thing, too, is like the resources here. Like, I, I don't, again, I know it's been growing a lot. I've seen it in the past, I would say, five years of me at least following the, the kind of tech scene here in, in Alberta. Like, Resource-wise, in our universities, like I, I know they got great stuff out east too, Absolutely. and like Waterloo and 
Toronto, like all around. I'm sure there's tons of, of great resources there as well. But like here in, in Edmonton specifically and, and lots of like the incubators in Calgary, like churning out really, really exciting, awesome companies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of talent gets uh, brought up here, which I've spoken to a few uh, contacts I have that are in kind of the software engineering space. And I mean, the, the fact that there's been this, not a collapse per se of Silicon Valley, but a fracturing of it a little bit in terms of what it was, call it 15 years ago. And all of the talent that left our country and went down because they just could not say no to the the incentives from a salary perspective, stock option perspective of, you know, graduating and heading down and working for a Facebook or a Google or whatever and, and making a lot of coin. Obviously nothing against that, but the fact that, that those opportunities are a little bit fewer and far between in comparison. And so the opportunity to do something yourself here, like where you're from or where you graduated from is becoming more popular. Mm -hmm. And again, yeah, I think we have, we have the, the structure, the infrastructure, sorry, and the resources here in kind of our two biggest centers to make a big difference, um, in the, you know, from the diversification of our economy perspective. And I know we've, we've kind of hammered that drum a lot. And as much as I think the rhetoric still is all about how, how dependent we are on oil and gas, like I think we have come a long way even in the last 10 years from that perspective. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And obviously the, the last three years or two years at, at minimum, I, uh, the, the price of our commodities have done, has done particularly well. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to finally be back to a more acceptable price or stable, just one that we can yeah. stable yeah. one that we can live with mm -hmm. and profit from and then mm -hmm. diversify off of yeah the the word diversify has always been a has has been an issue of mine with yeah. with like people assuming how easy it is <laughs> yeah. um it's not quite that simple yeah. and we do have a specific culture here that i think doesn't foster innovation and diversity from that industry as well as i felt in toronto specifically and that's not necessarily a, um, a knock on alberta because i think what mm -hmm. it actually tells is that we are very good at being at being successful entrepreneurs not ones that fail we're ones that demand return not just pie in the sky maybe it's achievable maybe it's not mm -hmm. sort of um, opportunity or, or um, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. We are brass tacks. We're going to make money on this. How fast can I get my money back? And that is a good thing, especially for investors, but it's also for those raising money, very challenging environment to be in because let's face it, a startup in mm -hmm. today's day and age needs to scale in order to achieve economics where they can actually mm -hmm. um, turn a business mm -hmm. into something new. And in the past, or in Alberta, it's generally been expected that your return on capital is gonna be two years, three years. Right. And um, that's just totally different than expected. I don't think, I think Uber finally made its first dollar. Like the, the amount of money that they've lost is, is shocking. I don't even know if they'll ever return as much capital as they've burned. Mm -hmm. And that just speaks to the challenge nature mm -hmm. of, of technology and, and innovation in general. Yeah. And I mean, and this is not to, to, to slam both sides. It's just totally different. And in industrials well, and yeah, but like even from like, I mean, to go back to previous podcast topics and talking about how like the change in VC funding and how like the, the, 
the expectation level on what is like from an entrepreneur, from a startup, what's expected of them before they get X dollars has changed dramatically. I, to make a pop culture reference to our favorite show of all time, Silicon Valley, like you just think about, obviously they're making light of a lot of the situations Mm -hmm. that were present during that kind of late two thousands, early 2010s kind of thing situation. And I always think back to about, um, uh, Yang's presentation on the seafood app, which was the picture, uh, taking a picture of food and it was supposed to tell you what it or recognize what it was. And he got like $3 million of funding or whatever <laughs> on the back of nothing. And obviously they were making light of that in the show. And I think that's just like a small, again, probably a stupid one, but a microcosm of how that has changed. Like there's no, there's a lot less I'm not going to say wasted money, but it just in terms like the the smart money that's being moved around now. It's there's more going into the research and the uh, the expectation on like you, as you pointed out the ROI, getting capital back and building a company that can sustain itself over a longer period of time, rather than saying, "Hey, we got a lot of money to invest, and that's what the that's what the marching orders are from the board of directors or whatever." It's like we want to find the next unicorn. We want to find the next the next Apple, the next Google, the next Microsoft. So we're just going to throw our money into a thousand different things because they're so we're flush with it right now and we're going to see what hits. And now it's, there's not that same, there might be actually the same kind of capital, but in terms of how it's being employed is not the same way. There's been, at the largest scales, we talked about how there's been, how many layoffs in all these the companies. year of efficiency. Exactly. There's all this re, this refocus on, on profit and return and shareholder value, et cetera. Um, and uh, that goes all the way down to the local investments being made into um into startups and you have to you have to understand that but i think there's still like i guess to digress and get back to what we originally said i think it is very promising that we are getting the interest in this province to have people uh i guess internally immigrate here um from out east which is which is great and i think we need we need more of that. We, I mean, there's plenty of examples, even in the, not just the tech space, just getting people to come out here and work. I think there is, uh, uh, from, I'm sure you're talking to lots of your corporate clients and stuff like that as well. There's, there is a need for skilled work. There is a need for, um, motivated people to work as well. And, um, you know, there's, I think lots of opportunity in, in all fronts there. Yeah. So do we move on to the, the war in Russia or, nah. or, or, <laughs> Or can I speak to something slightly more interesting to okay. me? Yeah. And this is around longevity. Okay. And it kind of... Your favorite topic. I know. Yeah. And I don't know why. I do know why. But there is a tweet thread mm-hmm. from the Colin reason everyone, Just so everyone knows the reason why is because he wants to be able to say he lived the longest out of all of his friends. So. <laughs> I don't know who I'm going to be telling that to, but um, it'll be on your on your tombstone. Yes, actually. I'd be yeah. happy to say all of the at each one of your guys' funerals. I'm going to say it. Hashtag beat you. Yeah. Yes, as, as <laughs> along with all the great things, but uh, or actually more interestingly, I'm terrified of what you'd say at my funeral. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't want that to happen. I don't there. need that happening. So, yeah. um, anyways, this, P- this tweet thread, Colin Keeley, put out uh, talks about. Peter Atia and how he's the number one longevity doctor in the United States or in the mm-hmm. world. Um, I have no idea how true that is. I have no idea how, how if whether or not he him charging one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to be his patient is actually accurate. <laughs> There's I don't know any of these things. But what I did think was interesting, and as somebody who listens to the Drive podcast with Peter Atia fairly frequently, um, every couple of weeks, 
his thread here mentions 13 items that are, I think, becoming more interesting to a larger subset of people. Mm-hmm. And basically, I'm going to go down. I, I don't want to do a TLDR, but um, lifespan, by definition, and, or at least his definition, is the number of years that you live. Health span is how long you are healthy enough to do the things that matter to you during that life cycle. Longevity means maximizing health span and lifespan. So his goal, or Peter Tia's goal, is to live longer and live better, not mm-hmm. one or the other. And um, in their opinion, the evolution of, of medicine from 2.0 to 3.0 is currently in that acceleration phase. Right. And I mean, they go through all of these items where um, medicine 2.0, medicine today, deals with the problems after they present themselves. So it's kind of how we deal with things uh, politically mm-hmm. and economically. And I mean, that's how we've been doing everything forever, right? Reactionary. Um, yep. Yes, exactly. Medicine 3.0 focuses on prevention over a cure. So we're trying to avoid even have it, having to right. find a cure for these things. So. <laughs> he calls those things icebergs, but he he he. It's better and easier to avoid the first heart attack than it is to treat it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So he's got four horsemen here. Um, there are four major killer diseases: cardiovascular disease, cancer, neurodegenerative disease, and type two diabetes and metabolic dysfunction. Metabolic health is uh, I don't know a common thread throughout all of those things as he as he talks about and. To him, exercise is the best prevention for those things. So, I mean, I'm not going to go through exercise as I'm not necessarily the best person to be speaking to those sorts of things. But in this thread, they do talk about that a little bit, what you should be doing. Um, Obviously, diet is very important. Um, They have some some recommendations in this thread. I'm not going to go through those either. Um, But what's really started to pick up is sleep as as in as being a a pillar to mm-hmm. I thought all longevity. the successful people though only slept like two or three hours a day. Yeah. Like Mark Wahlberg. Have you seen his schedule? Oh, Pretty successful guy. Yeah. Have you seen his like biceps too? <laughs> his golf swing's terrible, but he apparently he's like a five handicap. So anyways. Um sleep has definitely been something that while well, the last three weeks I haven't really gotten a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely um something that I focused on more and it's very interesting for me. Uh, it's definitely something I'm going to try to to work on more, more so than um, maybe I've been focused on exercise or I've been more focused on diet in the past. Mm-hmm. That is uh, something that's really picked up for me. And I mean, he goes through a whole bunch of these other things. But at the end of the day, what this tells me is that the the directional arrow of progress, as Josh Wolf likes to say, is it's clearly into more wallet spend on, that on healthcare. Yeah. And if we are living longer, the longer you live, the more of a burden you are on the healthcare system mm-hmm. as anybody can attest to with their grandparents or their, their, their aging. Yeah, parents. I, I, I think like, I want to make sure we like burden is like a negative connotation word, but right. like, I mean, I know what you're saying. I shouldn't say burden. I should say they, they, it, the, the word is burden, but it's just like, you have to understand it's like the, <laughs> there's finite resources when it comes to our healthcare system. And we've seen pressures on that, obviously, in the past three years as, as to what that can mean. And so anything we can do to lighten that load is a very important thing. Okay. And to spread, like, at the end of the day, we're all going to need end-of-life care at some point or care as we go along because of you can get, be as healthy as you want and 
you could still have a um, cardiovascular event or whatever it might be mm. just based off some, like a lot of this stuff, obviously you can do a lot with how you treat your body, but some of this stuff is also um, genetic and yeah. comes through. So there's always going to be these events, but the, to your point about the burden on it, it's like if you have this concentration of population like we do right now, all aging at the same time and all in maybe if you were to make a bell curve of their health situations, I'm sure there would be a pretty big bulge around a certain level of health that is all going to come to a, all going to come to a, a head at, at kind of one time, which is going to be a huge, again, a huge burden on the resources we currently have. Yeah. But so anything that we can do, cause we're the next bulge that's about to come through. <laughs> we should, is that we should be doing this hundred yeah. percent. Um, so, I mean, I just wanted to, to, to kind of go over that and I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about before we, we address this Shopify thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was just say the only thing I, I, I think the, the thing you talked about like health or sorry, sleep and diet and exercise. Like, I mean, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, if we flash back to listening, if you were in the room with your father at 45 years old, doing a checkup with doctor, I'm sure the same three things were said. And then things yeah. were ignored, right? Like, uh-huh. I mean, or not necessarily ignored, but I think like the the access to the information now is just like anything else, just at the an infinitely higher number. I don't want to use the word fad because I don't like I don't think it's a fact. It's a very good thing to invest money in. I think there are a lot of companies out there right now and people throwing out tweet threads with um links to their newsletter that are profiting off of mm-hmm. it being a wave at the end of the day it's probably less harmful than other things that have been quote unquote fads in the past that people have uh spent a bunch of money on and ha- now have no real tangible benefit from i think this is obviously you're going to get a tangible benefit from investing in it but the only thing i would and I'm not the healthiest person in the world. I, I really want to change a lot of things that I've been doing in my life the last couple of years. And I am, I'm, I think I'm going to do it, but I'm also not going to be going out and probably spending like, I'm not going to be invest like going into debt in order to get my a better bed and all of these training things, or whatever. It's like, I, I need to commit myself to, yeah, these things are cost prohibitive. And yes. I, I, I'll admit that I do believe that sleep is fairly free, but it's not. I mean, a lot of the time it's, uh, especially for, for parents and for mm-hmm. those that maybe don't have a lot of money, it's a luxury to have the ability. You have to really invest well into noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Apple will love that, even though they don't work. We're the damn. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a luxury to be mm-hmm. able to, to take care of yourself um, in the proper way. I mean, to work with Peter Atia, if it costs $150,000 a year, you're clearly a wealthy person. Mm-hmm. Um, it is absolutely, this is a luxury um, thing for people to com- to complain about, just like politics is, just like listening to these sorts of podcasts. All that stuff is generally um, for the the wealthier person. So, um, yeah, not to 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 suggest otherwise. Um, I don't know about you, Cam, but yeah, I want to mm-hmm. talk about this this tax topic. To an ex- it's sort of a tax topic, yeah, but it's something that people should I don't know just think about as. Um, Small many, business owners, yeah. yeah, and a lot yeah. of Americans were commenting on this thread because Shopify is such a broad business that is in I don't know sixty plus countries. Mm-hmm. I think it might even be more than that. Mm-hmm. And and the CRA and its ability to um, access user data, yeah, yeah, and 
I think you can speak to this better than me because this is not an area of my expertise, but mm. it was a viral Twitter yeah. and um, just news across Canada because of Shopify's importance as it's the largest tech company in the country. I mean, maybe secondary to, to mm -hmm. Constellation Software, mm -hmm. but a very big brand, a lot of companies use it. And for those that are building businesses on top of their platform, the many tens of thousands of, of, of um, merchants that are going to be affected by this. Mm. It's a, I don't know, I, th I found it actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, so I mean, we'll set the table a little bit here and I, I will off the top, surprise, surprise, say like I'm going to be fence sitting a little bit here just in terms, because I don't know enough about the case specifically because mm -hmm. it, this actually breaks down to more of a legal question than anything else as to, uh, and I guess I'll just start off by saying, so CRA is looking is requesting information on Shopify's clients in terms of activity, um, probably jurisdictionally, probably like in, within Canada and outside of Canada, et cetera, and trying to get information on that to use to then probably cross-reference with tax reporting things that they're seeing on their side, either from a personal tax reporting standpoint as sole proprietorship type income and or corporations that may or may not be filing returns and paying their fair share of tax. So ultimately, I think the end game here is that so Spotify is putting up a shield against this right now and is, is kind of um, fighting the CRA on this request. And I think you, you and I went back and forth on, on some texts and, and you'd kind of done a little bit more research than me actually and said, well, I think there's precedent for them getting this information based off of history of, I think you, you had mentioned PayPal as one and I can't remember what the other one was. Uber. Uber. Okay. And so, which that one may be a bit different, but it, it, PayPal, I, I think, would be a more direct comparison to here. So it's like, well, who's using it and where are all these transactions coming from? Because, like, again, people can, if you go through a bank statement, it's like, okay, you're <laughs> sending money to PayPal. It's going into the abyss and then it's being transferred over. And then you have essentially, it's a like PayPal, you could view it as a cash account essentially, right? So you could bury some stuff there that maybe you wouldn't necessarily see as a registered thing within the big financial institutions that they would already have access to that information. So uh, same thing with, with, with Shopify, there's a lot of this e-commerce platform or platform that they, that, that they use and implement for a lot of small business owners make the, you had mentioned earlier, the barrier to entry in relation to using this platform is pretty low. So it, it gives the, the pop-up shop, the, the, the startup entrepreneur, a way of establishing a e-commerce platform on a pretty, like an easy basis or a pretty like carefree basis. And so the, the service itself is great. I don't know, like, obviously I think Shopify is probably in a situation where, and I would like to learn more about this and maybe we can make sure we follow up on this once the more information comes out on this specific request and maybe a bit more behind why Shopify is putting up a front on this, like so aggressively. Well, I think they want to, they want to represent their merchants. Well, for sure they do. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, when you, I don't know, I guess I'm coming from if, if a client were to call me and say, Hey, I'm starting up this business and I'm like, okay, well, how are you doing your bookkeeping and how are you tracking your sales and how are you tracking your costs and all that stuff? Oh, well, I'm using Shopify for my like POS system and to, to make sales. And then I'm doing all my bookkeeping over here in this platform. And that's how I'm going to 
take care of things. So everything's going to integrate and whatever. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay, do you have a corporation? Are you doing this sole proprietorship? Oh, sole proprietorship. Okay, well, this is going to go on your personal tax return and you're going to, you're going to pay tax. You're going to pay your marginal personal tax rate on any of your income you make from this, uh, in addition to any of your other sources of income for the year. And that's going to be your requirement to report because that's the, that's the compliance side of my brain saying that this is what you have to do. I don't really, if you're like, why well, I don't know how, how well this is going to go. I don't know if I'm tracking all my costs properly. Maybe I'm not really making that much profit. Maybe I just won't report it this year. I'm sure lots of people think that way. Mm -hmm. And that number ends up being a lot higher than like, so your, your cash deals, your yeah. under the table stuff. This is what CRA is trying to crack down on is, is people avoiding um, the reporting, especially on something that's not, <sighs> When you earn interest income at the bank that is reported on a tax slip, it is it's submitted to the CRA. They can see that this is how much there's there's a give and take with the reporting on all of that. And it's expectation. If you don't report that $50 of income, of interest income on your return, the CRA knows that you had the $50 of income based on the slip that's been filed, that's been sent into your SIN number. And they're going to reassess you and say, you actually missed $50 of income and you would have had to pay $12 of tax. So could you please send that in and please make sure you don't miss any slips in the future or we're going to charge you a penalty, an additional penalty on that. And you're going to pay more and more and more with stuff like this, especially in, in our e-commerce world. I think like Bitcoin falls into this too. People like using Bitcoin to pay for things. It's in this ether that the CRA really has no regulation on. And they're trying to find ways to make sure that like their, their mandate or por portion of their mandate is to make sure that they're keeping Canadian taxpayers honest and that the the person who is a employee who has a T4 and maybe a little interest income and they're paying their quote unquote fair share of tax based off of the system that we currently have in place. Like they have no way of manipulating their income, quote unquote. Not really. Outside of making, again, registered deductions through an RRSP or through donations or whatever it might be, which all again has a, a check and balance to it. So your RRSP goes through a bank, which then would get registered with the CRA. Your donations would be through a registered charity here and which they don't necessarily get copies of all the donation slips, but your slip, you would have a slip that would support the fact that you made the donation and it's a registered charity in Canada. So anyways, I'm getting a little bit too specific here, but the all of those have checks and balances that the CRA can monitor and have access to in terms of asking questions or being comfortable with the answers that they're given mm -hmm. with the e-commerce side of things, there is the ability to, when you have cash that's essentially that is in trust with some of these platforms or like a PayPal, for example, those types of things, at least to my knowledge, they're not easily accessible or easily um, obtainable by the CRA in, in that mind. So, I mean, this comes, sole proprietorship income for the most part too is a lot of, and in, I mean, corporate income as well. It's like, there's not a lot of paper trail that goes to the CRA. So mm -hmm. if I'm a, accountant with a professional corporation um maybe i'm if i'm just by myself kind of thing i'm issuing invoices to clients none of that gets tracked to the like they don't, siri doesn't know i build ten thousand dollars so they might end up questioning me down the road when i'm filing my corporate tax returns but it's more so all these people they're probably doing this cross check to say how many people we do we get all this information here's all the business numbers in relation to this because i'm sure shopify requires you to register a business number or a sin number or whatever it might be they do. okay here's all of the sins and the business numbers that had activity in the year cross check that with our corporate tax compliance to say have you reported something on your returns and so i don't know if i'm necessarily like again from the fence sitting standpoint i think there's probably 
aspects of this where it's a slippery slope and potentially there's some overreach in certain areas depending on what the exact request is from the CRA. I know what's been reported, but again, what's actually happening from a conversation standpoint between the CRA and Spotify might be something different. But in terms of requesting the information, there's probably stuff there that the general taxpayer in Canada would be like, I want to know that. I don't want people skirting the system and not and earning a bunch of tax-free money that uh, is going unaccounted for. And then on the flip side, obviously, you want to make sure that you're not <laughs> giving everything to the man, quote-unquote, if you want to say it that way, in mm-hmm. terms of information sharing. So it, it's a, it'll be very interesting to see how this goes forward. I think this is something that we should definitely follow up on and see how it it proceeds. Uh, I think, unfortunately, when this does go to court, that there is going to be, the CRA is going to be able to rely on some precedent. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think the, again, what's been reported in terms of the request for this information versus maybe what's what Shopify and their legal team is probably viewing and saying like, well, you don't need this, but you're requesting all of this. So like, what, where is the breaking point and like, where should, where should we feel comfortable uh, giving this information, what does that mean from our communication standpoint to our customer base mm-hmm. when they're signing up and what they're agreeing to in terms of their information being shared with tax authorities or governments, et cetera? Because all that stuff is important. So yeah. it, it, I think it's it's one of those things where I understand Shopify saying, well, I'm not just going to hand it over willy-nilly. But at the same time, there probably is information in there that, again, if you take a step back and say as the average Canadian taxpayer who, again, maybe just working at McDonald's or, you know, has their, you know, working at whatever company and earning their income in a normal way and paying their tax. They have no say over what income I'm reporting or not reporting. I don't want people skirting that system. I think that's, that's an important thing to consider here. Yeah. And it's at the same time, you don't want the, the overreach from the, from the man, as we like to say all the time, um, like over and above what's appropriate or what they actually need in order to do their job. Right. under the regulation that's currently in place. Which I also think is a moving target, especially with like yeah. the political situation, right? And so I think, and this is me more talking from business strategy for public corporations and from a more 30,000 foot view here, Shopify is doing what I think Apple did very adamantly with um, user data. Mm-hmm. It's a challenging um, situation, which they're likely going to lose. In Apple's case, they won with, I believe it was the the, the, um, the phone data from yep. the massacre in, in Florida, where they refused to um, crack their encryption to mm-hmm. share the cell phone data. Yep. And because it was a much more, the, the, the reason for that was more long-term looking and how they were going to be viewed from their customer base yep. at th- being for their customer for um, privacy that they wanted to be viewed as, as the business that was going to go to bat for their users. Yep. I think Shopify is doing the same here. I think th- this is an image thing. They want their merchants to feel like they're protected by Shopify yep. and um, whether or not the CRA is right or wrong here, it's actually just more about business strategy. What I was the other thing too is like, could you imagine if them, if it was quietly given up and then it came out that they did that, they did that. And then how, what is that backlash like? Right. So exactly. hundred percent agree if it, from the brand perspective, the business strategy perspective, it makes sense for them to put up a fight or at least question what is exactly being asked for. Cause again, I, I totally understand the slippery slope side of things too. 
And I deal with that in my job in terms of working with the CRA and depending on who you're dealing with sometimes, like you, you need to drill down and that goes for people because they'll, they'll just call you up, right? Like they'll call up the individual and mm-hmm. say, hey, I have questions about your personal tax. If you have an, the one piece of advice I'm going to give out right now, if you have an accountant that is filing your personal tax returns uh, or corporate tax returns and you're getting calls from the CRA, never, I would say never answer anything over the phone um, specifically like gather what it is that they're requesting and then loop your accountant in or your advisor, whoever it is, uh, in terms of formulating a response just to make sure that you are like, you should only be giving up what you need to give up in terms of information and yeah. to support something. Uh, cause a lot of the requests are perfectly fine and dandy and are worded the right way and are completely fair given our, our, our tax system. But there is other areas where, Again, I don't think they are trying to necessarily prey on ignorance, but there sometimes there can be information disclosed in a phone call that they record all that information, obviously, for quality control purposes um, that can potentially lead to other questions, right? Where I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong, but again, like why give up more than what you're supposed to in terms of answering the request. So there that's a good system in place to obviously make sure that you're getting professional advice with that um, on, on, on answering requests on that standpoint. And I'm sure obviously that from a much larger scale, that's what Spotify is doing. They're saying, okay, well, are we probably going internally and talking to their finance department and their legal department and saying, okay, like this is the request we've been given. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so, I, I completely agree with you. Great advice. Um, I think moving on from mm-hmm. that, I I think in the interest of time, I want to start with some recos here. Mm-hmm. I started watching Black Mirror again wow. uh, after a long okay. hiatus. Um, so for those that, I think they've gone a little bit horror story-ish okay. as of late. And I've talked to a lot of people in Toronto about this a little bit, and people seem to be disappointed with how it's kind of evolved as a oh, show. Okay. And I want to push back against that. And, and I want to say that this is kind of the creative process in, in anything. You need to evolve because, I mean, whether or not this is good, bad, or otherwise, the Black Mirror shows of seven, eight years ago have seemed to have all come true. And we've started to live some of those those stories, individual mm-hmm. stories, mm-hmm. and they need to get creative. Um, so in my opinion, it's mm-hmm. different, but it needed to be. Okay. I mean, I know it, it's been like a kind of a, that was a show that's been kind of a cultural phenomena for mm-hmm. the most part. Right. So it is, I think it, when you have a, a show that is so successful out the gate in terms of critical acclaim or mm-hmm. just general following. It's it's always tough when you think you're like creatively I'm gonna pivot to something different. And then everyone's like like half your there's probably like new fans of the show because of the change. And totally. then there's a bunch of existing fans that were like, well this isn't what I wanted to see. It's like, well it's not your choice. But. No, it's not. And and that's what that needs to be done. If you don't if you don't iterate and change, you die. Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality. And it's taking a risk and whatever, for yeah. sure. But I'm sure they've uh, probably had a calculated risk because they made a boatload of money from the first time. It, exactly. I, so, yeah, that's my that's my re- recommendation. And I want to okay. draw attention to um, Harry Markowitz, Nobel winning pioneer of modern portfolio theory. So in my in my neck of the woods, in my business, he is kind of a living or, or he is a past legend. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, I mean, 
it's really, and, and this is from Corey Hofstein, it's hard to overstate his contribution to modern finance. This guy effectively gave us the mathematics or the, the, the ability to quantify risk mm-hmm. in markets. And uh, he's brilliant. And for myself, it's modern portfolio theory has been largely a way in which I've separated myself from the competition in Alberta, mm-hmm. as it's still not something wildly pra- widely practiced, even though it's something you're supposed to learn and and, and understand. Mm-hmm. So um, sad to see that guy go. Lived a long life, 95 years old. Uh, he's the king. Yeah, rip. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you got any recos? Have you been able to do nah, anything? Nothing, man. Just nothing. I was going to keep uh, refreshing Spotify every 15 minutes to see if Drake's new R&B album for all the dogs drops. <laughs> um, that is a big thing in my list right now because I was on Spotify last night listening to music and then on Twitter and there was word that he was, I think Lil Uzi Vert also dropped an album potentially yesterday. And so there was talk about him going head to head against Drake, but I think him and Drake are boys, I think. So then he huh. maybe did not release early. Like he was first suspected to, I don't know. Drake you know, you know, has to get it out before you know, a long weekend. How you does he not? I know. Well, cause it's the five year anniversary of Scorpion. Mm. Um, not to get too deep here on the Drake <laughs> talk, but, uh, anyways, it's supposed to be an R and B album. So, I mean, he's, he's done one. Before. He's only he's only not he's that his records are usually with that are just all fire. So <laughs> I am looking forward to that being released because I am a stan. So absolutely, you are you maybe more so than me. Um, podcast recommendation: the Kevin Kelly "Be Generous and Unique" invest like the best is very worth it. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna read the ep- episode description. This will be our way on our way out of this. Um, Kevin Kelly co-founded Wired Magazine and has published a number of seminal books and essays on technology over the past three decades. And this is Patrick O'Shaughnessy writing this. I've devoured everything Kevin has put out into the world, and many of his ideas shape the way I live today. Our conversation explores media, family, money, his concept of technium, AI, and more. But the central theme of this episode is that we should be as generous and unique as possible. And for me, listening to this podcast, it has made me feel, especially given the last three three weeks, month of my life, um, some kind of way. And it, it was like, like yeah, that's right. And I was listening to this this podcast, just thinking about um, life in general, how you want to treat people, the 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 people in your life that you you lean on. Um, he was a he's an interesting guy who doesn't he puts money second. And that's a good thing, mm-hmm. I think, generally. Mm-hmm. And he seems like a really, a really, um, a good advisor. He'd be a good mentor. He's just a, a kind person. So mm-hmm. I thought it was a really, really, really good episode. Mm-hmm. Is one that I threw in my top podcast all time, which I've now had. I have a list of this on Spotify, mm-hmm. and um, I continue to add to it. So it's not literally one of my top podcasts ever, but it is one of those ones that I will continue to go back to, mm. especially if I ever want to. The re-listens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that along with all 200 episodes of Reform Millennials. <laughs> exactly. So Cam, maybe I'll see you Monday or Friday or yeah. one of the days in between. So, yeah, happy Canada Day weekend, everybody. Enjoy yourselves, be safe, and we'll chat with you one day next week. Don't know when. <laughs>